welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to this edition of the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown. Awesome to have you with us. And uh, I'm super amped to share today's podcast with you because I get to share another incredible story of a phenomenal triathlete. And we head to Dallas in Texas uh, to catch up with Ben Fuquay, uh, who is, uh, yeah, hasn't been in the sport for that long, but has uh, managed to achieve some incredible things already. So uh, that's today's podcast. We'll get into that in just a moment. Don't forget as well, if you'd like to support uh, what we're doing here at the Kona Edge, it is highly appreciated. All you need to do is head over to theconaedge.com forward slash support to become a patron of the Kona Edge. And for as little as five cents per podcast, that's a dollar a month, uh, what you can do is help us keep the lights on. So uh, what I'd appreciate is if you considered buying me a cup of coffee. Think of it that way. If you get any value out of the podcast, uh, simply pledge the cost of a cup of coffee once a month uh, to us through our Patreon page. And for every dollar you pledge, you'll get an entry into the draw to win yourself a half Ironman entry. Uh, we give away one of those every single month. We've got some more cool goodies that we're going to throw in there very, very soon as well. So uh, the more you pledge, the better your chance of winning. Uh, the website to get to, once again, is thekonaedge.com forward slash support. Or if you'd like to get the details sent directly to your mobile phone, all you need to do is text the word Ironman to 44222. <laughs> Today's Coach's Corner is brought to you by Doug Guthrie Personal Training. Doug has a passion for seeing people improve and succeed. A 14 times Ironman finisher, two of those on the Big Island, a USA T Level 1 certified coach, head coach of the YMCA Tri Team, Doug has the unique ability to meet athletes wherever they are in their journey. His motivation comes from helping athletes improve and meet their goals at any skill level. As a self-coach, two-times Kona qualifier and finisher, Doug's experience places him in the shoes of those training for their first sprint to those who need to know what has to be adjusted in their plan to get them to the next level in order to qualify for the World Championships. Discover more about Doug, head over to theconaedge.com forward slash coaching and don't forget if you're a coach or if you have a coaching business and would like to get a plug on the podcast, head over to theconaedge.com forward slash coaching. Well, we head to Texas now to catch up with our next guest here on the Kona Edge, and it's a great pleasure to welcome onto the podcast Ben Fuquay. Ben, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey. Yeah, thanks for having me. Ben, uh, we were talking just before we uh, got recording that you're not a native Texan. You've you've been implanted there. You went from from California to Texas, man. What a what a change. I know, right? Yeah, I'm originally from Los Angeles, and then moved to Texas for university. And you stayed. I stayed. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> what What is it? What is it that you like about Texas? I mean, it's so different to, to to LA. I'm sure. Well, I think I was just in in Los Angeles my whole life and was ready for something different. And it's just a little bit different culture out here. The people are really friendly and nice, and um, enjoyed school and friends, and got a good job, and figured I'd stay. Fantastic. Climate wise, for for triathlon, pretty pretty good. What's that? Climate wise, temperatures and and that sort of thing yeah. for for triathlon. Yeah, it's it's uh, right now. It's really hot. That's the only thing is it can get really really hot. Um, but there's really not much of a winter, and so you can train almost year round, which is great. Fantastic. Let's talk about your sort of sporting background. Uh, I'm yeah. taking it you've you've pretty much been active your entire life. Sort of sports background. What 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 have you what have you done? Where do you come from? 
Um, well, both my parents were college level athletes. My dad wrestled and my mom played volleyball. And uh, so I grew up in a very athletic family. Um, my sister, who's a year younger than me, uh, my sister and I grew up playing everything, basketball, football, uh, swimming, not a ton of swimming, but um, wrestling, basketball, soccer, volleyball, all kinds of stuff. And so we were always doing sports um, and being active growing up. Were, so. you, were you any good at any of them? <laughs> I was good. Um, funny enough, the sport that I really was good at was golf. Um, and I had an opportunity to play at the college level and just didn't want to anymore because I was just burned out. Um, and, uh, so I decided to move to Texas and just go to school and not play sports in college. So, um, that's kind of where everything started from, from a college perspective. What did you end up, what did you end up doing? Um, as far as my academics, yep. yeah, I majored in history, uh, with a focus on teaching. And that's what I'm doing now is I'm a teacher and a coach. Uh, and I'm also the athletic coordinator at my school for all the girls sports, um, and I coach the girls cross country and track teams at the school that I'm at. So all, all pretty physical from a, from an athletic yeah. point of view, work wise as well. Does that give you some freedom to, to sort of get in your own training or is, is it pretty, pretty tight? You've got a lot of extramurals and that sort of thing. Um, I mean, you know, every year you get a little bit more put on your plate at work, but, um, it's been really good. I love my job. I love the people I work with. I love the girls that I coach. So it really it's a great environment to be in as far as training. Um, you know, having the summers off and having longer breaks is really nice. Um, and my, my academic, you know, bosses and my coaching bosses have all been really supportive of me training and racing. And so that's been, you know, something I'm really grateful for. So it's been a great situation for me the last several years. Well, let's talk about your venture into triathlon. I mean, obviously yeah. you've, you've done lots of stuff, uh, sort of athletically, various sports. When did, when did triathlon come onto the radar for you? Um, at the end of college, I had gained some weight. and As, was, as we do. I know, right? Was eating bad. And uh, I had always, you know, my dad ran a marathon when I was young and uh, we would watch the Ironman broadcast growing up, you know, in December every year. And it wasn't really a big thing for me. I just always thought that that was really cool. And then uh, a few of my friends and I thought, man, we should do a triathlon. So we signed up for a little sprint race. Um, I didn't even own a bike. I bought a cheap bike on Craigslist and um, got a little road bike and did a, a race without any training or anything. And uh, it was incredibly difficult it was very humbling even at a sprint distance um but it, i just loved it i thought it was so cool i loved watching the people who were obviously uh deeper into the sport and more fit i just thought it looked really really uh fun and something that i could really uh kind of sink into and get really into and i kind of kept doing sprints and getting a little bit better training a little bit more and then kind of took it from there was it was it after that first one you got sucked in good and proper? Uh, I would say yes. I didn't know what I was getting into, um, but I I thought, man, I want to do this. This is something that I I would like to keep doing. All my other friends were like one and done, but <laughs> uh, I was definitely you know I, I just I didn't I wasn't thinking Ironman. I was thinking you know I want to do another sprint and do better. Um, and it it always kind of you know I would go up a distance and kind of get my butt kicked and then want to do better. 
and do would do a little bit better and then think about the next distance up and you know the same kind of process would play out so when did you realize you were, were fairly good at it that you you had some ability um i think the first time uh i was right at about five hours and a half iron man i thought man you know i'm kind of on the border here of being good or being kind of average um and that uh, winter, I really, really trained hard and really got focused on my diet. And I came back about six months later and took 35 minutes off of my time and qualified for the world championship for the half distance. And I thought that was the first time it was in New Orleans, too. And I was like, man, I think I'm pretty good at this um, after the kind of the six months of really serious training. So. It was fun. What was it across the board? I mean, you say taking thirty-five minutes off a off a half Ironman time—that's pretty pretty good, especially when you're on the the sort of front end of the field. Was it across the board that you improved, or was it in certain disciplines more than others? Um, that going from five hours to four twenty, whatever it was, was a huge improvement in my bike and run. Um, my swim was never really that bad. I, I've always been a pretty good swimmer. Um, but uh, no, my bike and my run improved significantly. And I over that winter, uh, I invested in a trainer, a bike trainer, and just saw really big gains as far as on the bike. And then I on the run as well, I really kind of picked up my training as far as the intensity and the mileage um, and saw a big improvement there as well. And eating clean. I mean, I, I probably lost 10 pounds and that helps. It's amazing what a big difference that makes. So, so many people yeah. are, are spending a few extra hundred bucks because they want to take a, a few ounces off a set of wheels. But if they stop, yeah. if they laid off the cheeseburgers, that would that would make yeah, a big difference. Exactly. Well, and and you know, I didn't get crazy. I mean, I still would go out with my friends and have a beer and and go get a burger. But I tried to be really good uh, with my diet Monday through Friday and tried to really nail it and be disciplined. So that on the weekends, you know, there's no guilt there and go have a fun time with my friends. So absolutely good. Yeah. As far as making the the step up to to the full Ironman distance, I mean, it's one thing making the jump from a sprint to an Olympic distance or from Olympic to a half. But, gee, there's something psychotic about a full Ironman distance. It's a it's it's big. Yeah, it's a big jump. And the first Ironman I did was in 2011. It was at St. George, Utah, when it was still a full and uh it, they only did that race for three years at the full distance because it was really difficult. Um, and I finished the race, but it was not a great experience for me. I thought, man, this full distance is not for me. Um, I was glad I did it and glad I finished. But after doing that, I kind of came back down to earth and was like, okay, I'm just going to really focus on the half Ironman distance here for a while. Um, and it took a good five years for me to even think about doing another full, um, but it was good because I really focused on the half distance there for a long time and had some good results come my way from some good training. And um, But, yeah, it took five years for me to do another full Ironman after St. George. Tell me about that first experience. Why Why was it so so rough? What Was it lack of training? Was it just you went in yeah, expecting I mean, something else? Tell me about that. Yeah, part of it's my fault. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't train as well as I should have, but some of that was – me just not knowing um 
being very young in the sport, it was my second year in triathlon. So it wasn't like I had been doing it a long time. Um, but I just think until you do that distance, you don't understand what it feels like to be out there that long. Um, the, like I said, the swim was fine. I wasn't concerned about the swim, but the bike just, I mean, it tore me up and that course in St. George that they had, it was just ridiculous. I mean, the amount of climbing and the heat and the wind, I mean, it was, it was very humbling. Um, and then, you know, you have that crazy, horrible feeling of getting off the bike and you have 26 miles to run. And I mean, it was just a, a shuffle, jog, walk, shuffle, jog, walk for, you know, six hours or whatever it was. Um, it was just a hard course and I wish they still had it because I probably would be interested in just going back. But, um, it was just a really humbling experience of like, wow, that's, that's a really, really hard race. <laughs> but, but as, uh, enough, yeah, enough to where I didn't want to do it again for a long time. <laughs> as, as humbling as it is, finishing your first one is, is pretty special. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was, I had my parents there and some friends there, and my grandma was there. I mean, it was, it was a great experience to finish and uh, great accomplishment, but it was definitely very humbling at the same time. Can you remember time-wise and splits-wise what you did in that first one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first one, I went... 1357 um and my goal was 12 hours and at the athlete meeting that like two days before you know they told everybody whatever your goal time is add two hours because this course is ridiculous and so i said well if they're telling me to add two hours i guess i want to be under 14 hours and so i was really happy with 1357 for where i was at at that time um but yeah, it was it was an eye-opening experience for sure. Well, ben, you're going to make so many people on this podcast really happy because I get tons of emails from people saying it's amazing. Uh, we, we we hear people in their first Ironman going like sub-10 and they think, well, uh, I, I, yeah. can, I no, can never make it to Kona. <laughs> I, I'm quite chuffed. My first Ironman was quicker than yours, so I'm, I'm pretty chuffed about there that. You go. Well, <laughs> in my first half Ironman, I was like over – I was like 620 or something like that, so – it's Same incredible. Thing. I love that. And then, I mean, you mentioned growing up and, and watching Iron Man Kona on, on TV. When, yeah. when did when did it become a, a goal for you? You had obviously raced uh, World Champs half Iron Man distance. Once you had made the step up again after that five year hiatus on the the long ones. When, yeah. when did Kona really pop up and go? You know what? I want to do that. Well, I said, you know, I really focused on the half Iron Man distance there for five years, four years, and uh, saw a lot of really big improvements and was, um, you know, getting on the podium and, and really racing and, and understanding what it felt like to race at the front of a race. And, um, it was really exciting for me, uh, going to Montremblant for the worlds for 70.3 in 2014. Um, my rear derailleur shifter broke at mile five on the bike. And so I couldn't shift. And so I had a frustrating race with, you know, a bike malfunction. And then, qualified for the next year in Austria. And that was the first time going to a world championship race that I was like, I think I'm going to have a really great race and had a good swim, had the bike right where I wanted and, and thought I was going to have a great run. And in the first mile I started throwing up, which still to this day is the first and only time I've thrown up in a race. And of course it was in Austria, like the furthest place from anywhere that I had been. And so that was really frustrating for me because I felt like, you know, going into that race, I was ready. So I came back to the States and signed up for Austin 70.3, which was about six weeks later, just for kind of a revenge race. <laughs> and, uh, 
I felt like I had worked, you know, really hard for the fitness for worlds and I didn't get to use it like I wanted and had a great race in Austin. Uh, I was third amateur and won my age group by, I think almost 10 minutes. Um, and that was really vindicating for me. Um, after feeling kind of robbed at worlds in Austria. And that was the first time that I thought, you know what, I think I'm ready to, to give it a go, like for a real Ironman race. Um, and so about a month after Austin, I signed up for Ironman Texas. Um, it being local, you know, I thought, man, if I qualify for Kona, you know, I'll get to save a little bit of money as far as the qualifying race. Um, and I had a lot of friends doing it. I had a lot of friends that had good course info for me. Um, and it was, you know, in, in my home state. So trained really hard from, um, you know, the fall all through the winter and early spring and had a great race in Texas. It was awesome. How did that second one go? Tell, tell me sort of splits wise, the improvement must've been massive. Oh, it was huge. I swam right at an hour, which I was very conservative. I was trying to really be smart with the swim and not go too hard. So I was right at an hour. And that was the year with all the flooding that they shortened the bike from 112 to I think it was 95 miles. Um, but the course was difficult because I think there was something like over 100 turns on the course or something like that. Um so it was a difficult day, but I felt it was just kind of this feeling, you know, about halfway, like 50 miles into the bike where I thought, man, like, this is a good day. I feel really good. Um, and I just kind of tried to keep my, my speed and my place and, you know, the field on the bike, you know, and everybody wonders what's it going to feel like getting off the bike. Um, cause it was really starting to get hot and really humid like it does there at that race. Um, before they moved it back to April, but, um, I got off the bike and the legs just felt amazing. Um, and I had a great run in the heat. I ran a three ten, and, uh, got fourth in my age group and my age group was stacked that year. I mean, there were some really, really good guys in my age group that year. Um, and I think, I think five of the top 10 amateurs were in my age group. And so, um, I was really happy. Got fourth there in my age group and qualified for Kona. It was a definite <laughs> different type of Ironman. I felt like I was racing the whole time instead of just surviving. And and obviously having that good experience wanted you to come back for more. Exactly. Yeah, it was, I was pumped for Kona. And I was a little frustrated just with the course being short because I wanted to know kind of what my real time was. Because they said, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, add about 40 minutes to whatever your time was there. And I went 8.18, which was a great time. But it also kind of plays with you because that's 8.58 if you add 40 minutes. And then you add the, oh, man, could I have gone sub nine there? Uh, which, you know, I mean, sub nine is like the holy grail. So um, for amateurs, at least. But, yeah, it was it was a great day. But I felt like really excited about Kona because I really wanted to see, you know, what's what's my Kona time. So I was I was excited to train really hard.
I'm guessing that the Kona Edge is not the only podcast you listen to. If you're anything like me, you probably listen to a ton of different podcasts. I think at the moment I have uh, 10 or 15 go-tos that I listen to every single week. And if you listen to a lot of podcasts, at some stage you've probably thought about starting your own. Well, the good news is it's easier than you think. Thepodcastingacademy.com is giving you the opportunity to get your own podcast started right now. The Podcasting Academy is a 21-day step-by-step online program that will get you from zero to podcast in just three weeks. Right now, the thepodcastingacademy.com is offering listeners of the Kona Edge a 25% discount. All you need to do is use the word Kona at checkout to qualify. Head over to the thepodcastingacademy.com to find out more. But if I say the word Kona, what do you think of? Hot. <laughs> I think of really, really hot. Um, I had never experienced heat like that before. It was unbelievable. That scares the living daylights out of me. If someone from Texas thinks Kona's hot, then 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 we're in trouble, yeah. I think. I thought, I really thought, okay, I, I had a great race at Ironman Texas, which, you know, a lot of people think is a good tester for Kona. Um, living in Dallas, it's really hot. And I was doing you know, some training outside, you don't want to do too much because it just kills you. But uh, I was doing some good training outside and felt really good and felt like, you know, kind of like almost an unfair advantage. But landing, as soon as you land in Kona, the the heat and humidity is just so uh, just wicked. It's it just hits you like a ton of bricks. It's so different too. as far as the the experience of the big island did you did you sort of soak it all in did you did you take part in all the side shows or were you pretty focused on on race day uh i was pretty focused i i didn't do the underwear run which i wanted to do it but i had uh my flight got in late and i had to go get my bike and it just kind of scheduling stuff so i didn't want to overload my schedule too much um but i stayed pretty focused i i mainly hung out with my family and friends that were there and we got a house up on the mountain away from all the noise and heat. And so I I spent a lot of time away from all the noise. Um, But I typically do that at all races. I I don't like to hang around all the busyness and all the nervous people. And um, I did, you know, I did soak it in a little bit and got to take some good pictures and walk around. But honestly, I mean, it was just so hot before the race. I was just scared of kind of overexerting myself. I mean, there's people there. It was, it was funny and sad at the same time because people, you know, they're on these training rides two days before the race, like just crushing it. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of nervous energy there. People, um, you can just feel it. It's, it's so tense before the race. And I was, I'm not a tense person. I'm not a nervous person. And so I, I was out. I did not want to be around it. And I tried to stay away. Ben, tell me about your race. Tell me about that experience of racing against the best in the world all on the same course on the same day. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, I love the wave start because you know where you're at the whole day. Um, That was something at Ironman Texas that's hard because it's a self-seated swim, and so you don't really know where you're at. Um, But I love the wave start. The the swim was incredible. Um, The water is just amazing, and um, being around that many people in the water was really cool after it kind of settled down. Um, the swim was awesome. Got out of the swim. Um, 
you know, the first 20 miles of the bike are just so scary and hectic because everybody's just flying through town and, uh, but you get to see people and you get to see, you know, your family and you zoom by and all that stuff, which is fun. But once you get out on the Queen K, it was just, it was unbelievable. I mean, I remember I went over this one hill, um, just a kind of a roller and you got to the top of this hill and it was the first time that the real wind hit you. And I was like, Oh, wow. Um, and I looked down at my Garmin and I had like 80, 80 something miles left. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a long day. Um, and, uh, I just remember trying to soak it in and, uh, but also feeling, um, a little concerned because usually the wind doesn't kick up until you get to Javi, but you know, at least my experience is it got really windy on the Queen K this year or this past year. Um, honestly, the climb to Javi was, in my opinion, not that bad. Um, I felt kind of like let down in a way because it wasn't that crazy. But um, that whole time on the Queen K was just incredibly uh, tense for me. Uh, it was hot. It was windy. Um, people were starting to really bonk in a big way. And, you know, you see people bonk on the bike and all you can think of is, please don't let that happen to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I wanted my bike to be around five hours or a little under, but the wind was just, it was really playing with me. And so I biked to 507, which I, you know, I wasn't mad about. I wasn't happy about it. It was just kind of right there in the middle. Um, but my back was just super tight um, from just trying to stay arrow in the wind. Got off the bike and I was just hobbling. I mean, it was like the opposite of at Ironman, Texas. I was just limping and could barely stand up straight and in the first mile I stopped which I never stopped I mean that's like my thing is I never stopped to walk and I was just I was stopped dead in my tracks in the first mile and I found a telephone pole and kind of hugged it <laughs> and tried to stretch out my back and went to the bathroom and kind of tried to relax for a couple seconds I had somebody come over and ask me if I was okay which also was a new experience and um, the back kind of started to loosen up and kind of started to jog and um, that was kind of the last of the back problems for the day, but, uh, no, I had a great run. I kind of started to make my way up through the field in the first, uh, 10 miles. But once I got out to the queen K, it was just kind of that same experience of, you know, you get away from your family, you get away from all the people and it's just quiet and hot and windy and people are really suffering. Um, but there was a part of that that I really liked because, you know, watching the broadcast growing up, you see those pictures and those videos of just the suffering. And I had just a couple moments there where I was like, man, I'm like, I'm in it right now. And it was, it was kind of a cool experience to, you know, look around and see the pros running the other way and seeing them suffering too, um, made me feel really good because, um, it was just kind of a weird connection to something you've always you know, thought about. And I know for me growing up, I was like, Oh, you know, I'm never going to be there, you know, and then you're there. And so it was really cool. But yeah, I had a good run. I ran a 317. Um, ended up, I think I was, uh, I'd have to look 30 something or 50 something in my age group, but I was top 10 American amateur overall, which I was really happy about. That was kind of a, a, a goal I had that I didn't tell a lot of people about. Um, but being top 10 amateur American overall, um, I was pretty happy with that to think, you know, there's 10 people in the country that 
are in that group and I'm one of them. So I was pretty pumped about that. Well, that's awesome. As far yeah. as the feeling, do you feel like you've got unfinished business on the big Island? I, I really don't. I know, <laughs> I know some people will probably yell at me when they listen, listen to this, but I really don't. I mean, uh, I didn't do it to, to start a trend of, you know, wanting to go back every year. Um, I really respect that race. Um, I just don't know if I have the time in my life right now to, to train to beat 930. I mean, I know other people, you know, like you said, there's some freaks out there that they can just go 905, 905, 905 every year in Kona. But I feel like 930 was my very best on that date in October last year. And I think I could beat 930. I'm confident in that, but I don't know if I want to. <laughs> and I don't, I mean, the time commitment and the amount of, you know, things you have to do to get there with where I'm at in life right now, I just don't think is going to happen. So I'm, uh, I'm focusing on the half distance again and having a lot of fun. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. Cause I get exactly what you're saying. It's, I mean, you, you know, deep down that you can go better, but it, it, it comes at a cost and, and is that cost worth it for you right now? And the answer is no, I think. Yeah. And, and you don't know the cost until you do it. And you know, it's easy for people to say, Oh, I would do Kona every year, but it's like, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's really expensive. It takes a lot of time, a lot of investment. You miss out on a lot of things if you want to focus like that. And I had a great experience doing that one time. I had a great race that I was really happy with. Um, and that's enough for me. So are you pretty satisfied that if you never go back, you, 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 you satisfied that, you know what, I've done it. I qualified and, yeah. and I got to race. You, you, you pretty, oh, yeah. pretty cool with it. I can honestly say if I never went back to Kona, I would not have any regrets, which makes it a lot easier to, you know, have that feeling. And, and I'm really glad I had a good race and I was kind of in the, you know, upper part of the amateur race and felt, felt that way during the race and felt like I was being competitive and racing people and not just surviving. And, um, I think being top 10 amateur American was a big deal for me. It might not be a big deal for other people, but, um, it was a big deal for me and it was definitely something where I felt like I could walk away from Kona and never do it again and be totally happy with it. So brilliant. Let's talk yeah. some, let's talk some gear if we can, uh, ac yeah. across the three disciplines. What, uh, from a swimming perspective, tell me, tell me what you use wetsuit wise, goggles wise. For the answer to that question and more premium Kona Edge content, head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash support and stand in line to win an entry into a half Ironman event every single month valued at $350. That's thekonaedge.com forward slash support. You mentioned you, you're focusing a, a bit more on the, the, the half Ironman distance now. What, what's the left for you to achieve, Ben? What, what's, what's some of the goals that you're working towards right now? Um, well, I did uh, Ironman Buffalo Springs 70.3 a couple weeks ago. I uh, had a good race there. Um, I actually tied for second overall, which was kind of funny. Um, me and the other guy ran the exact same time. Um, but I, I missed out on winning by 18 seconds wow. and I didn't know it uh, at the time that, um, me and this guy that I was running with were, we didn't know we were in first and second place just cause it was a wave start. 
Um, I mean, I would like to be top amateur at a race, uh, but it's not something that I'm super, you know, focused on. Um, I don't know though. That's a really good question. And I've actually had a lot of good conversations with, uh, different close people in my life about what I, what I want in the future. Cause I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's interesting. Cause you know, I've, I don't know if you've heard this turn of the term of the post Kona blues, but it definitely, it, it kind of has played with me a little bit. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not going to be able to race Chattanooga this year just because of work commitments. Um, so that's not on the radar, um, which I've actually enjoyed because the last four years has been nothing but focusing on world championship races. Um, so it's kind of nice to not focus on something like that right now um, and just train because I like it. Um, but I don't know. It's a good question. I'm still trying to work on it and figure it out. Well, well seems that you're taking world champs off in 2017. Put 2018 on your radar. It's in my backyard. Yeah, right? It's on my backyard uh, in Port Elizabeth in South Africa. It makes for a good holiday, if anything. So uh, make sure you qualify, come out, and have a, have a pretty good time. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Ben, as far as sort of getting work-life balance right you you said that your your employers from an academic and and sporting sort of perspective have been pretty pretty good to you allowing you to train and race and that sort of thing how do you get the balance right from a not just work and and training but also social life and i'm not sure if you're married or i mean how do you get that family life and training and and work in that in your life right you know i it's something that's always changing um it's not something that i feel like i'm ever you know, perfect at, but I try to, to keep a good balance. Um, like I said, I try to be really focused in my training Monday through Friday. I I really don't train much on the weekends, which I know, uh, is different than a lot of people around the world. Um, but I try to really focus Monday through Friday for that, that specific reason of having days to recover and having days to spend with, um, friends and family and, and just not train. Um, sit on the couch and, and do nothing if, if that's what it comes to. Uh, I think it's really important. I think, I think it's important to remember that triathlon is a hobby <laughs> and it's a fun thing to do with your life, but I try not to get too obsessed to where it's not fun because I've been there before where, you know, you get upset if you miss a workout or you get upset if um, something with work happens to where you miss something that you think is important. Um, I feel like I can say confidently, though, after being in the sport for, you know, eight or nine years at different levels of, of racing that, you know, there's no workout that's worth giving up time with somebody you really want to hang out with that's important to you, whether it's, uh, you know, a loved one or a friend or a coworker or whatever. I've learned that, you know, training is important, but your relationships are a lot more important. Um, so I try to keep that balance. Um and it's funny because in the last couple of years, I've really tried to do better at not being so focused on training and not so rigid with my diet. And I've actually gotten faster and I feel like it's important to have that mental happiness um, because I think it helps you be a better athlete and not just the training. So it's, it, been, a, it's been a good experience for me. It's interesting you say that because the mental side of it does play a big part. Yes. The sport of Ironman yeah. is very physical, but it's easy to become mentally burnt out or, or mentally fatigued where where as much as your body's re- responding to the training, if your head's not right, I mean, you, you've got no chance. Yeah, and that was something even a few weeks ago in Buffalo Springs. Um, you know, I trained for the race and 
Uh, I did not, you know, give it a half-hearted effort. I mean, I trained and 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 did what I knew I needed to do, but uh, it was definitely less training and less focus and less rigid uh, focus on diet. But I felt happier than I had ever been before, and I had a six-minute PR. And so I look at that as something very tangible. That you know, the happier you are, I think, the more capable you are of having a great race. So I think having that balance is an important part of that because, you know. If you're just training and training and training, you know, you're going to miss out on things that can help balance out your life. And that's something that I don't want to miss out on. I dig that perspective. Uh, ben, it's yeah. been awesome catching up. I look forward to chatting about uh, the individual disciplines, but we'll save that for, for the next podcast. Thanks for, for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you. This episode of The Cone Edge is brought to you by the Wahoo Kicker. Whether you're looking for the accuracy and control of a direct drive bike trainer or the flexibility and convenience of a wheel-on solution, Kicker and Kicker Snap are two distinct indoor training solutions. Kicker Indoor Trainer's large flywheel uses new algorithms to improve responsiveness and better replicate the sensation of riding on the road. So whether free riding or using online platforms like Zwift and TrainerRoad, you'll have the same experience you feel on your favorite outdoor rides. To check out their phenomenal range, head over to thekonaedge.com forward slash indoor. That's thekonaedge.com forward slash indoor. And that's it for today's edition of the Cone Edge. Thank you very much to our guest, Ben Fuquay, uh, for sharing his story with us. Uh, another uh, iTunes review to wrap things up uh, today. And this one coming to us from, uh, I can't even pronounce it, but it's uh, someone in Canada. I'm not even going to try because I'm going to butcher it, saying awesome source of information. Uh, I've made this podcast my number one reference for everything triathlon. Great way to keep up to date and entertain. This is the perfect companion for my long indoor rides. Uh, I don't even... I'm not going to try. It's, it's it ends with tube. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you so much for that iTunes review. Sorry that uh, yeah, I didn't want to butcher your name, but uh, thank you so much for being in touch. And don't forget to leave us a review if you haven't yet. It really just helps us get in front of more and more people just like you, and helps us grow the Kona Edge. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, from myself, Brad Brown. It's cheers. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.